with me to Second Thessalonians chapter three, or chapter one, verses three through twelve this morning. And uh, the sermon title is "Press On," and so the song that we just sang goes exactly with the flow of our text this morning. Press on. A couple of weeks back, uh, Nancy and I and the kids and Michaela, our niece, went down to uh, the Native Baptist Mission. Uh, as Amanda and Bill Christian invited us to come down there to uh, to Bible school as they minister down there. And so we got there a little early and decided we were going to drive on down the road and go through the Nada Tunnel. I don't know if you all have ever been through the Nada Tunnel or not, uh, but it's just this tunnel right through the middle of the, of the side of this mountain. And it's a single lane uh, road right through it. And as we were going through it, my niece was uh, practically hyperventilating. She was scared to death. And I kept telling her, look, there's the light at the end of the tunnel. There's a light. It's coming. You know, we're, we're, the light is coming. And you always uh, hear that it's, it's good to see the light in the tunnel unless it's a train coming, right? And uh, so uh, we saw the light in the tunnel and we pressed on. Today, Paul is writing to a church that was needing some encouragement. They needed to see the light. And Paul pointed to the light. And it was the return of Jesus that he showed them. And so let the certainty of Christ's second coming encourage you to press on through whatever adversity you may be facing today. As we all go through those difficult trials, let the certainty of Christ's second coming encourage you to press on. Let me invite you to stand with me if you're able this morning to read together from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 starting at verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only fitting for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you again for this opportunity to be here today. We thank you, Lord, for your word, the encouragement that it provides for us, the truth that enables us to press on, especially as we think about the return of our Lord Jesus and what that means for us. The motivation it it gives to us to go out and tell the good news to those who are lost. But Father, the hope that it inspires in us that one day these trials 
these afflictions, these persecutions will be a thing of the past as Jesus comes to make all things right. So, Father, I pray that you will speak to us through your holy word today. Encourage us, God, to press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we said last week as we began this study that this was a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church that he started in modern-day Greece and Thessalonica. They were a church that were dealing with issues, both practical and theological issues, and one of the things that they were dealing with was suffering, namely persecution for the Christian faith. And why are these things happening? And what is, what is God doing? Has God forgot about us or abandoned us? Paul is writing to encourage them and motivate them in light of the return of Jesus to press on. The first thing we would see in verses 3 and 4 is that we are to press on toward perfection. Toward perfection. Now, we, we know there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. No such thing as a perfect church because churches are comprised of people. But some use that as an excuse. Well, I can't be perfect. I might as well not even try. Or no such thing as a perfect church. We, we don't even need to try to be perfect. Well, in fact, the Bible tells us we are to strive for this. We are to strive to be holy as an individual and as a congregation. How do we know we are doing that? Well, Paul says in verse 3, the, here is the evidence of Christian growth. It says, we ought always to give thanks to you, brethren. He is writing to Christians, his fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, to, to those who are already in Christ. You cannot grow in Christ-likeness until you are first saved. He's writing to the brethren. He says, that is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. The love of each one of you grows even greater. He says, there are signs of progress. There is the fruit of the Spirit on display in their lives. He points to, first of all, the increasing faith in the Savior. He is thankful, he says, because your faith, your trust, your commitment to God, your, your, your trust in Jesus is greatly enlarged. It is growing abundantly. It's not just growing, it is growing like a weed. We say that to our young people sometimes. They are growing like weeds. Paul says your faith in the Savior, your trust is growing Abundantly, increasing greatly. But not only was their faith increasing, there was increasing love for the saints. He says, Your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you towards one another. The love there, the word love in Greek he uses there is agape. That's the love God has for us. It's supernatural, divine, spiritual love. He says, You have the love of God in you and coming out of you. The love of each one of you, not just a few of you, not just some, but each one of you, the, uh, the love of God is growing, he says, towards one another. Towards one another. He says, you are a church that I can see visibly and tangibly the evidence that God is at work in you because you are growing in the way you love and treat one another the affection you have is like the love of God. Increasing 
faith, increasing love. That's the evidence of Christian growth. That's how we know we're growing as people and as a church. But also he points to them as an example. An example of Christian growth. Verse 4, he says, Therefore, because their faith, their love is growing, therefore we ourselves, Paul says, we as apostles, as leaders, we are speaking proudly of you among the churches of God. We're, we're boasting about you. We're, we're lifting you up as, as exhibit A. This is what you need to look like as a church to be able to grow spiritually. Look to the Thessalonians. Look what they're doing. We're so proud of them. Their, their faith in Jesus is growing. Their love for each other is growing and increasing. And that's what we need to do. Every church. Today, Ephesus. Look to them as an example of Christian growth. They're one of those churches that we should model. But we as Christians could also look to other believers, individuals we know. We can see their faith growing. We can see their love and feel their love increasing. Wonderful examples for us to emulate. That was that church. I pray it's our church also. But also he talks about their endurance. We need endurance for Christian growth. You cannot grow without endurance. In verse 4, he says, We speak proudly of you among all the churches. Why? For your perseverance and your faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. They're going through some hard times, and Paul says, That's why I can boast of you, because you're going through the difficulties, and your faith and your love keep growing in spite of. In fact, your faith and your love are growing because of the persecutions and the afflictions. Your persecution is, is those who are not Christians harassing you because of your faith in Christ. Your afflictions are those general sufferings that we go through, those circumstances of life that come our way. Hardships, difficulties. And Paul says, and through those persecutions and afflictions, you endure. You patiently bear those things. You await a greater thing, a greater time, a greater place, a greater person once Christ returns. They have endurance. That endurance is a sign that they are pressing on towards perfection and growing in Christ-likeness. You know, it's exciting to see something you planted to grow. We granted some, uh, planted some tomato plants behind our house this year, and, and we've watched them grow and grow, and finally they've like overtaken the flower bed. And, and we go out, and Kylie is excited to go out and see these, these tomatoes growing on there. And they started small, and they got, got bigger, and they're green, and they start to turn colors and get red. It's exciting to see something that you plant to grow and then you water it and watch it grow. We know in reality, we, we can't make anything grow. God causes it to grow. And the same thing is true in our Christian life. As, as we see the evidence of God doing something, we know it's not because we have, have, have earned it or deserve it. It's because God is up to something. And Paul notices that and he says in verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. He doesn't say, thank you Thessalonians that you are making your faith grow. Thank you Thessalonians that you are making your love grow. It's all on you. Good job. No, he says, we thank God for this because God is doing something in you and God is doing something through you. In spite of the enemy's best efforts to derail you, your faith and your love are increasing because God has a hold of you and God deserves the, the glory 
for your growth. And so as we press on towards perfection and we strive to become more like Christ, we praise God that He is enabling us, empowering us to grow through His grace. Press on towards perfection, but also press on through persecution. That suffering, as we said, provided the, uh, the occasion, the opportunity for Paul to boast. How could he boast that they were growing in Christ-likeness? Because of the persecution that they were enduring. They were going through hard times, but yet they didn't quit. The hard times refined them and molded them and shaped them and made them stronger. And that's what we are called to do through suffering. See in verse 5, his reason for suffering. He says, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. God doing what is right. God's inspection. There's an adversity test. As they're going through the difficult times, it's God's inspection to see whether their faith is genuine or not. And he says, God's righteous judgment so that so that you will be considered worthy. You know that, that suffering is never pointless. Affliction is never in vain. No matter what you are going through in your life today as you sit here and you feel the burden and the weight of affliction on your life, nothing is pointless. Nothing is meaningless. God is up to something. There is a reason. And He says to them in this situation so that they would be considered worthy. How would God know they were worthy? Anybody can say, I've got faith in God. It is the hard times and the difficulties that tries and tests our commitment to Jesus. And through that adversity, God saw them to be worthy of the kingdom because they persevered. God considered them worthy because they were being like Jesus. As Jesus suffered persecution, as He endured affliction, He is our example we become more like Jesus when we bear up underneath the weight of affliction and persecution and we endure for the sake of the kingdom. We become like our Savior, His reason for suffering. The reason why we can bear with this is because verse 7 shows His, revel his revelation. His revelation in suffering. It says in verse 7, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed, when He will be unveiled, when what, what is hidden behind the curtain is finally shown to be true. When He is revealed from heaven, where He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, from heaven He returns with His mighty angels. His mighty angels. His, his warriors, His messengers, His servants. And when He comes, He is coming in flaming fire. Flaming fire. The presence of God in the Old Testament is often depicted as a flaming fire. Think of Moses at the burning bush. Think of when God gave the law on Mount Sinai. It says it was in smoke. All of it because of the fire of God's presence. And when Jesus returns, He is returning in the power of God. He is coming in flaming fire. And when He does, we see in verse 6 also His retribution for suffering. We endure persecution from those who cause us to suffer because we know when Christ returns there will be retribution. Verse 6, he says, For after all, it's only just, it's only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. He says, God notices. God sees your suffering. He sees your affliction. He sees your persecution for the sake of the kingdom. He is taking note of that. He's going to do something about it. Verse 8, he's dealing out retribution. 
payments to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. You see, there's two things there. They don't know God and they don't obey the gospel. You know, the, the, the gospel is a command. Repent of your sin and believe and trust in Christ. Repentance and faith are commands. And he says those who do not obey that gospel command of Jesus, there will be retribution. God takes note of those who do not know him and do not obey the gospel to come to Christ. Verse 9, These will pay the, the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord from the glory of His power. We call that hell. In the Bible, it depicts hell as a real place, a place of eternal torment, suffering, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die and the fire does not go out. It's a place where, where those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel, it is a place where they will suffer retribution for their sin against the holy God. mentioned the tomatoes that we had planted and, and going out inspecting those. Kylie goes out and, and she finds the ones we need to pick. And Here lately we found some that, that have rotted and fell off and, and we want to get rid of those. And so uh, she's like, Daddy, Daddy, throw this one in and I will pick it up and, and throw it. And as you throw it, all the stuff comes out of it flying everywhere because it's rotten. And she just laughs and giggles and squeals. Daddy, throw another one, throw another one. It's because we're inspecting to see which ones are worthy of keeping and which ones we toss out. When Christ returns, there's going to be that same inspection. Do you know God? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? His death on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin? His resurrection to give you life, to give you a new birth? Do you know God? Have you trusted in the gospel? If so, you don't worry about His second coming because you know He's coming to reward you. He's coming to visit you and to, and to alleviate and relieve your suffering. But if you do not know God, and if you have not obeyed the gospel, that's what you can expect. That retribution, that penalty, verse 9 says, it's a penalty because you have rejected the gracious offer of God in Christ Jesus. It's being extended to you today. It's being extended to you right now. For you to reject that gospel, you are rejecting God. Rejecting eternal life. His retribution for suffering. But also we see His relief from suffering. That's what we can expect. A, re a relaxation. A freedom from affliction. Verse 7 says that. And to give relief to those who are afflicted. Church, are you afflicted? Anything in your life that's just weighing you down? Anything in your life that, that's squeezing you? Is squeezing the joy out of your life? Anything that's troubling your soul? When Christ returns, there will be a relief from that. The pressure will be released. will be relaxed and we will experience freedom. Freedom from those afflictions. In verse 10, he says, When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. He says, When he comes back, 
to be marveled at. You know there's going to be a grand reunion when Jesus comes back. So we read this. He says to be marveled at by to be glorified in the saints, to be marveled at among all who have believed. Not just some, not just those who are alive when He returns, but among all. There's a picture of the church, universal, all believers, of all ages together once again in the presence of God's glory. This week, my Papa Rader would have had his birthday today, or, or this week, and I posted this picture on Facebook the other day as I was thinking about this message and, and thinking about him and, and, and the Christian witness that he was. And just the joy of the Lord just radiated off of this man. And, and to, to know he is in the presence of the Lord, but to know when Christ returns, if I am alive and haven't gone on to the, be with the Lord by then, there will be that grand reunion at that moment. Those loved ones that's gone on before you, parents or grandparents, Spouses, friends, children. Those who are in the presence of God. When Jesus returns. When He comes to be glorified in His saints, all of His people, all of those who have believed. Not only will we experience that relief from suffering, but that glorious reunion in the presence of God. It's going to be a great day. And Paul says we're going to marvel we're going to marvel. We're going to admire and appreciate that day when faith becomes sight and we see Him with our own eyes. And we rejoice with all the saints in the presence of God's glory. So we press on through persecution because Jesus is coming back. And that's motivation for us. But finally, we press on by petition petition, through prayers, others praying for us, others praying. I talked to, uh, to Marlene Ayers this morning in the sanctuary as she came in, and I said, it's going to be a great day. I feel it. And she said, well, you've been covered. And I knew I have been. And I feel the prayers of the church, and, 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 I, and I can just appreciate you all petitioning God for me and for the sermon of the day. And Paul says it's through petition and praying for others. He says in verse 11, To this end also we pray for you always. Not just sometimes, we pray for you always. To this end that, that, you, would, that you would endure suffering and persecution, that you would look to the light at the end as Christ returned. To this end we pray for you always. For what? For what? He says the goal of godliness in verse 11. To this end we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling. That in God's eyes you are worthy not because you're sinless but because you have trusted in the one who died for your sins. You've fully given yourself to Christ. And you persevere to the end and God counts you worthy of your calling but also the goal of goodness in verse 11. To this end, we pray for you that our God will count you worthy of your calling and that God would fulfill every desire. And we say, wow, you know, that means I can pray for whatever I want to pray for and God will give it? It's not what Paul says. He says that he would fulfill every desire for goodness. You want to be good. You want to be like Christ. You want to, you want to exercise faith and compassion towards others. 
You want to do the good work God's called you to do, the work of faith. You want God's power to do that. Paul says, I'm praying for you, church, that God will fulfill your desires to be good in Christ Jesus. That work of faith, you'd be able to accomplish that by God's power. So as you pray for your fellow Christians, pray for them. Pray for the goal of godliness in their lives. Pray for the goodness in their heart that God has placed there that they would follow through by His power. Those desires to be a good person, that they, God would fulfill that in them. And finally, the goal of glory in verse 12, so that the outcome of this, when we pray that God would count them worthy and we pray that God would fulfill the desire for goodness in their lives, the outcome, the result, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. He'd be glorified. That Jesus is glorified in the lives of His faithful followers. That He would receive all the credit and all the celebration, all the hoopla, would be about the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one who does that for us. He's the one that counts us worthy. He's the one that puts the desire for goodness in our hearts. He's the one that, that enables us with His power to fulfill the work of faith. He's the one that gets the credit for it. We pray that God would bring this to pass so that Jesus gets glorified. But also the glory for Christians in verse 12. Not that we would steal the Lord's glory, but so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in Him. It is in Him that we are glorified. When we are united as one in Christ Jesus through our faith in Him, through His work and His person, we become one and united in, in, in Christ so that you and Him, according to the grace, and that's the way it happens, according to the grace of our God, and the Lord Jesus, the grace that belongs to the Father and the Son, poured out on us undeserved. His undeserved favor. The glory that awaits us as Christians is by His grace through faith in Christ. So in other words, His grand coronation and our glorious completion are awaiting that day. Are awaiting that day. So let the certainty of Christ's second coming encourage you to press on through whatever, whatever adversity you are now enduring. It will be worth it in the end if you press on. 1952, a swimmer named Florence Chadwick began the journey to swim from the Catalina Island to the coast of California. She'd already swam the English Channel twice, so she was an expert swimmer. That morning that she set out to swim this channel all the way to California's mainline, it's very foggy outside. Could hardly even see the boats that were journeying beside her as she swam. But she dove in and began this trek, and after 15 hours of swimming towards the mainland, she began to weaken and she began to beg to be taken out of the water. Her mother, who was traveling in one of the boats beside her, kept encouraging her, Honey, you're almost there. You're almost there. Don't quit. Don't quit. You've almost made it. And finally, she was just emotionally, physically exhausted and she gave up and they pulled her up inside the boat. And they began the journey back to the shore. And then, as she saw through the fog, she came to realize she was less than a half mile away from her goal 
And when they interviewed her at the press conference afterwards, she said, all I could see was the fog. She said, I feel like that if I could somehow have seen the shore, I would have made it. What about you today? Is the only thing you can see the fog that surrounds you? The tribulation, the affliction, the difficulties, is that all you see? Because if that's all you see, you're going to have a hard time pressing on. But if you can see the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you can see the return of Jesus to, to relieve you from your suffering, to repay those who, who may be afflicting you, if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, the glorious return of Christ, His coronation and your completion, if you can see that, you will press on. You'll be motivated. In fact, I think we can be re-energized by His return. We feel we are weak and we're exhausted and we can't go on any further and we're begging God to remove us from the race if we can lay eyes on the fact that His return is certain. It is promised in Scripture. It is guaranteed. If you can see that, you can be re-energized. Focus on the finish and be inspired to persevere. As we sang earlier, Dear Lord with the prize, clear in our eyes, we find the strength to press on. Let's pray together. Lord God, we